Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bald Move Television Podcast, we're an officially unofficial podcast for all of television. Today, we are finishing the deuce uh, with Finish the, fi- the, the season finale, series finale, episode 308, entitled, appropriately enough, Finish It. Mm. I'm your host, Aaron. I'm Jim. Almost forgot that little bit of uh, housekeeping. Uh, okay. Only, we've only done, what, 29 of these episodes things? of the show or so, yeah. 28 episodes? Yeah, God knows how many hundreds of episodes of Bald Move Television. Jim... Boy, I I have a lot of feelings about this show. What did you think of the wrap up? Uh, it was great. It was great as I expected it to be. Uh, I guess it it was it was a a little different than I expected too. Um, you know, we do get a lot of finality here, but also I guess it didn't give us the focuses toward the end that I expected. I I thought Eileen would be a bigger part of the the whole wrap of the thing and she essentially gets a a, a small mention and a small moment um, an obit. for her movie yeah. yeah and i was a little bit surprised by that but yeah. i guess vincent has always been the main character even if maybe this last season i was feeling more like eileen was yeah i guess because yeah there's a couple places i thought we'd get a little bit more paul um mm-hmm. but they've got they, they they had so much like what do you do with paul after he has the phone call with his dad you kind of show yeah. like it like can you know paul is essentially collateral in gene's one-man army against the uh nightlife of the uh unsavory nightlife of new york city um and there's a lot of the, there's a lot of vince and there's a lot of kind of like uh closure with his plot line and uh, but, but I, I, the thing that really blew me away was the last, you know, 15 minutes of this where it's old man Vince walking through the streets of the, of, of, of Times Square and it's completely the unrecognizable. 2019 streets. 2019. Yeah. And it's completely unrecognizable and sterile and corporate and, mm-hmm. you know, not, no real people quote unquote live there. <laughs> and I, I can't even ex- fully explain why, um, but I was really emotionally affected by that. Like I got really weepy mm. watching it last night, but I was really drunk and <laughs> kind of uh, feeling uh, sentimental and maudlin. Okay. And so then this morning in the office, uh, you know, I'm here in the fluorescent lights and I'm taking my notes with my, my watching it on my monitor and it started hitting me again. I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> Don't I- you know you're supposed to save all that for December? I guess so. I I don't know why, because I guess I never. I, I thought I I thought I intellectually admired this show more than I really truly loved it. Um, mm. You know, like I just how well constructed it is, and the things I think it's saying that are important, but are nevertheless told in a very engaging, entertaining way. But holy shit, I really um, I think this last season really uh, stacked on so much meaning to these relationships that just seeing Vince go back and you know, the good times and the bad and what they were doing with like Lori, you know, standing there next to Cece Mm -hmm. and you know what they do when he sees like, uh, uh, who's that guy that killed his brother? Um, uh, shit. I don't remember his name, but yeah, the guy, Calliope, Gestepo, uh, uh, something like that. Uh, uh, Pasquale, Pasquale, Pasquale. Yeah. Uh, just, there's just so many, just like real beats. And then, um, 
the first, especially the first time, I guess I should have been expecting Frankie to be at the end, but then when he did, it's like yeah. I just fucking couldn't handle it. I, cut, I like like yeah, Mike, a moment. Yeah, Mike, big. You Mike. look like shit. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I love this show. I think it's really great, and it's a shame it's ending, but it had to. Yeah, uh, and they walk down into the subway, and you kind of feel like that's them fading off into history, uh, with and New York moving on. And you ask yourself, what does it like? Like, I'm, I'm kind of I go back and forth like uh, Detective Alston, you know, like is New York City for the better? I don't fucking know. Yeah. Um, like what he also says in that scene is absolutely true that people pump in a dollar and they get 10 or 100 or a thousand back. But the people that make the place great and to the work, their real jobs, they don't ever see any of that. Mm-hmm. And uh Yeah. Yeah, is uh, Times Square better off now? Like you said, I don't fucking know. It makes a shitload more money. Yeah, but so what? Yeah, <laughs> it's 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 safe for families. I don't I don't know if every part mm-hmm. place in every part of the world needs to be. And and you know this the show does such a great job of showing all the bad parts. It's like it's, I mean, it romanticizes that old Times Square without you know covering over the the things that were terrible and the reasons why people mm-hmm. wanted to change New York for the better in the first place. And I think that if I don't think anyone would have a problem if New York was changed for the better or they cleaned up Times Square and then diverted all of the money, all the money that's pouring in there into like social safety nets, yeah, uh, yeah. helping out, you know, uh, the, some of the under deserving people in this or, or underserved people populations in the city. But we know that the vast majority of the money that gets generated in that just goes right back to the top, and yeah, the, the and private too, like big fat private pockets, yeah, is where that's going. Yeah, and it's 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 public grease that got all those mm-hmm. projects gone, and all that all that you know all that hard work that Detective Alston did to clean up the streets in New York just goes to benefit these uh, these these fat cats. Yeah, who so probably move on to the next patch of rough road and remodel that. Yeah, do it all over again. And, you know, it's like, um, it's funny because, like, this is all stuff that Simon has said. Like, if you've seen Show Me Hero, these same yeah. themes come out. If you've seen uh, uh, The Wire, obviously, these same themes of, you know, public corruption um, and uh, well-meaning politicians not being able to get things done. And I, I don't. I wonder because like there's a lot there's a fantastic series of interviews with uh, Alan Sepinwall between him and David Simon where they talk about um, you know the core themes of this and it seems like Simon is one that like really believes in unions uh, really believes in in holding public officials account- accountable but he never I feel like there's never like a prescription probably because there isn't really one uh what do you mean, like prescription like, like what, what to do about yeah what uh given that all these bad things have happened to society and we can't really go back like what is the best way forward mm. um but i don't know because there's still a lot of people i think in denial about uh lots of things i mean the fact that the drug war is still a thing is you know 20 years out from the wire is kind of crazy to me yeah, sure yeah. but uh it's like uh, you know, if uh, we we hunted the whales after extinction or to extinction after seeing Star Trek Four, it's mm-hmm. like what what the fuck, you know? <laughs> Speaking of the wire, there's a wire reference in here, right? When when Frankie yeah. goes off to Baltimore, Doctor Francis be talking transfers about... to the ba- Baltimore hospital. Yeah, no, there's so like uh, Sevenwall uh, pulled this reference out. Um, there is a, a Nathan Bodie Barksdale. 
that was that gave his name to two different uh, uh, characters in the in the wire. Hmm. Um, that was a real life gangster in 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 the the eighties in Baltimore, and so that's a, that is that is a nod that okay. Uh, you know he's going to end him, in, wind his way into one of his old school <laughs> enforcers. Uh huh. Yeah. What kind he's of help to, does Frankie provide? He's a soldier, man. Uh huh. He's a, he'll ice pick a guy. He'll shoot. He'll do whatever you need. Uh, for for uh, it, and he's incredibly loyal. So he'll probably do he'll probably do great until he doesn't out there in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, is there anything we want to talk about just in general? Or should we get down to the specifics of this final episode? I, I have a I have a big question for you. Yeah. Huge, enormous question that needs an answer. Okay. Who the fuck is this guy in the shirt that Vincent insults? With the fucking uh, big buttons on his shirt, and it, so I, w- I wanted to have time to do this, but I can't because ah. this is a double day with Mr. Robot and the yeah, Deuce, and these either. are both crazy in-depth shows. Mm-hmm. But my theory is he's one of the guys that punched Vincent in the in the uh, premiere because he got him confused with okay Frankie, and this is just kind of a reference back to that. I assumed it was some long uh, forgotten reference from but the if, show, but, but if that's not actually true it still works just as like uh you know this kind of sly because he doesn't he knows it's vincent but he's like do you want to take a bet and he's like i think you got me confused to frankie and mm-hmm. i don't plus it's just that that's a that was a really fun scene i thought that was a pretty slick and elegant bird oh yeah the like captain I mean, stubing and sets then him up mm-hmm. perfectly you yeah. get two one the one the shit in and one to cover it up with. yeah <laughs> it's just a really a really <laughs> funny way to shine somebody on All right, time for housekeeping, and guys and gals, I'm not going to lie, there's just too much good TV to keep up with right now. Too much for any one human to keep up with, yet we valiantly try. If you want to keep up with any of these, just search for the show name wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. We Do is our Watchmen podcast. Two weeks in, it's been a total delight. We're giving it the full treatment, instant live take and talk podcast for club members on Sunday night and a full podcast with recap and analysis each Tuesday. Pickle Me This is our Rick and Morty podcast wrapping up a season three coverage. It releases every Tuesday. This week we're talking Morty's Mind Blowers with Ify Wadiwe from the Maximum Fun Network. He's a really fun interview and we talked about whether we should stress about shifting dimensions. On our podcast, 2-Bit Encryption, we're covering the twisty and turny final season of Mr. Robot, the world's premier show about hacking, mental illness, and social alienation. Full podcast recaps every Wednesday. On American Horror Story podcast, we are covering season 9, the 1984 season. Comes out every Friday morning. Don't look now, but this week is the Halloween episode almost guaranteeing a banger. Cecil and I are also doing our Cinema Spooktacular. It's our third annual. The first two episodes are out. The third episode will drop on Halloween Eve Eve this 30th, this uh, this Wednesday. Cecily and Alexis of Pin Y fame will be covering his dark materials on Bald Move TV starting on Monday, November 4th. But you don't have to wait now. You can download their coverage that they began last week with a review of the 2007 Golden Compass movie. Finally, if you're in the mood for spooky stories to tell in the dark, check out our newest feature, Lunch with Jim and Aaron, Reheated. This is where we release our five-year-old club member-only lunch podcast for everyone to enjoy. This Thursday, we have the classic lunch where Jim and I turn off the studio lights and tell spooky stories from our childhood. Can your spine handle the tingle from the tale of the church on Joppa Road? Check out this week's reheated lunch and find out. Once again, if any of those sound good, just search for the show name wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can find them all on baldmove.com. Uh, okay, well, let's let's talk about the deuce. Uh, first up is Eileen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
a lot of what the interview between Alan Seppenwall and David Simon is, is uh, Alan Seppenwall thought uh, or wanted to ask the question of David Simon that what he thought of the James Franco allegations, um, which, uh, you know, there, there's there's been some allegations of him using his position as a, running a uh, some sort of film school. Uh, to get to take advantage of young women to get them to do things on camera that maybe they weren't comfortable with, hmm. uh, and I'm not going to add anything that David Simon is, is is says in that interview other than to link it in our show notes. Um, but there is some moments here that hints that like Simon and Pelicanos and crew have learned some lessons too, as as he says as much in the interview that. They thought they did everything right in season one. It turns out that some of the performers, notably like Emily Mead, uh, when they are doing like postseason interviews with them, express discomfort and and some problematic things like hmm. sex scenes being negotiated on set rather than through the agency. That kind <laughs> of like sounds a lot like stuff that made it into the story. And here. it kind of horrified uh, both uh, David and George. Like, shit, this yeah. is, we're making a movie, uh, we're making a series highlighting this problem and we're doing it ourselves, which is why mm-hmm. um, I think the Deuce, um, it, it seemed like that a lot of people thought the Deuce got intimacy coordinators because to distance themselves from the al- the Franco allegations. What it seems like that was an internal decision they already made that just was better in hindsight. Hmm. Um, but you see here that like, Eileen is very considerate about checking in with her performers to the extent that she's going to blow up the film if they want to yeah. walk away from it. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's super ironic that she's she ends up according to the obituary when she makes this film. It's not it's not pornographic at all. She took, she took Harvey's advice and took all the sex scenes. She out did. Of yeah. It. Um, I don't know. That's things like, I, I don't know the fine point of what they're trying to say there. No, it's tough too, because I mean, Eileen, in my opinion, very much identifies as a porn director. Yeah. Like, like that argument she has with Harvey over, like he says, you know, finish this film, finish it. Yeah. And she's like, no, fuck you. I'm not going to take the porn out. I'm like, I'm a porn director. That's who I am, which is, I don't know, in light of what Lori did to herself at the end of a couple episodes ago, after she kind of realized that this was her identity and stuff, I I don't exactly know what they're getting at with Eileen because I thought she was supposed to be sort of the the success story that turns this into, you know, a, a quote-unquote respectable career. Uh-huh. And, and kind of gets out of the porn scene, but she doesn't. They make that clear. It's really complicated, right? She, she does make this one thing that I think she would be very, very proud of, mm-hmm. but also it seemed like her identity was still wrapped up as the porn director. Yeah, it's. it's I think it's really complicated because yeah. even with her story where uh, the porn directors out in California push her consent, as we've seen them do so many times this season... Um, the performance of these actors she's talking to is very much like when she's like, you know what, kids, uh, decide amongst yourself what you want to do. I'm going to be cool with it whatever way. It's like they look at each other like, fuck. Like mm-hmm. if she'd screamed and yelled and be like, you better fucking whip your dick out. You better stay. Like they'd be like, you know, fuck you, lady. But now they're ch- she's challenging them as actors. And it's something that Simon's talked about in the interview mm-hmm. is that like actors by nature are eager to please and kind of almost fetishized difficult emotionally hard work yeah, and yeah. like a lot of times it's very easy to talk someone into doing something on set that they're not comfortable with because show must go on right you, mm-hmm. you this is this use your sphere and uncertainty and doubt and f- have it fuel the scene would be great and amazing and that's what we're seeing here yeah. like 
this is a scene about a girl who is having her limits pushed to do something she's not comfortable with, have sex in public with this man. And Eileen's essentially telling the performers to use their unease, but their love and trust for each other to make that a dynamite performance. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, no intimacy coordinators on this set. Eileen, broadly a protagonist for sure, but I think that's kind of what they're saying is that they're still, best case scenario, uh, this this is very problematic. So, Hank... Uh, <laughs> Hank blew in and out of this season like a like a bald hurricane. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did you? What was your score as far as you know? Uh, strikes, balls, fouls with uh, his conversation with Eileen, his negotiation over how their relationship can continue now that she's re-entering the porn field as a performer. I thought it was like two to one, Eileen. The the, the only thing Hank said in that entire conversation was was something about, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, like trust trust in him or like, it, there, there wasn't much, it didn't seem like there was much give and take in that relationship. Yeah. It felt like Eileen was doing exactly what she wanted to do all the time without uh-huh. regard for his, uh, you know, his uh, hangups and shit uh-huh. and kind of expected him to just roll with it. Yeah. Which I get, uh-huh. that, that makes a certain amount of sense. But when he says something about like, you're something about uh love and like how she is trying not to to be loved and using this as an excuse not to be loved or something and not yeah, to love herself doing a little bit of and cycle. not to love him it was right. like there's something true in that uh-huh. but i don't i don't think he won the argument with that obviously well, he didn't i also mind. thought the part where he went a little bit out of bounds is where he like said why don't you just take the money to make your goddamn picture yeah, which yeah. is going back to like she already clearly explained why she can't and yes she, and that he should understand and but i also think that there's there is a big difference between oh yeah i've got this girlfriend she's amazing she's had a bit of a wild hat she used to film porn versus oh yeah it's my girlfriend she's gonna get railed by six dudes this weekend mm-hmm. I'm not saying that like that says anything about Eileen and what who she is right. as a person. I'm just saying I can understand that's a big change. That's 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 a that's a big change in the dynamic that you're, you're pulling on somebody. And I don't think it's it I don't think it's unfair to say I'm not comfortable with this. I don't think it's unfair for Eileen to be like, well, then I'm still going to do what I'm going to do because this is my career. Like mm-hmm. it's almost like. Uh, there's this am I the asshole subreddit on Reddit where you can you know, there's verdicts the the people have a verdict of like you know you're the asshole everyone sucks here I think this is a no assholes here situation I think so uh, like I, mean, I said he he got a little heated but then again like I think he cared about her and she cared about yeah. him and things tend to get heated when people are breaking up even for very good reasons yeah um like look how heated things were with Abby and Vince you know and, and then a couple weeks pass and every, everybody's cool but. Uh, it's just, it's just, un, it's unfortunate because she ends up doing, she ends up prostituting her body for money to make this picture done. The only thing difference is she doesn't give a shit about these producers, whereas she, yeah. you know, and that's important. Yeah. It's an important distinction. It's a big difference. A big difference. And it's one I would have expected Hank to understand a little bit more. What did you think about, I was trying to think what Eileen was saying when Hank was trying to probe, is this money or pride? And she says, what's wrong with pride? And he says, well, pride ruins everything. And she goes, if you go long enough without pride, you'll find a way to use whatever you get. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that... I don't know what that means. I literally don't know what that means. I had this germ of an idea that she was talking about, like, if you don't have pride, 
and if you ever manage to scrape together some, you can monetize that. Like you're tempted to monetize it, um, or you're tempted to like trade it or give it away or something. But it, 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 I don't know. I, it's one of those things where it's a little enigmatic. I feel like I know what she meant, but I can't really. It's like well, one I of those like he's German taking... words. It's untranslatable. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I think maybe the translation here is that he is taking for granted the pride that he has because he's always had that pride. And if, ah. and if he were in her position where she had no pride right. whatsoever in herself, right. and now she's got a little bit of that, she would be grasping it. He would be grasping it that much more firmly than, than he thinks she should. It's easy for him to say it's what's what's wrong with pride and this position of invincibility with his right. social where he's and he's on economics. the way up like he's got all the all the fucking future ahead of him yeah uh, yeah yeah um, we do find that and I was they, we do find out when she goes out to California I was kind of surprised that. Because I thought that them negotiating this scene was them like being savvy negotiators. I was honestly surprised to see her fold so easily. I don't know whether it's just like, you know what? Fuck it. It's just fucking. I want to make sure I got a condom on for an anal. And then I just want to get. I, I don't want to fight. I, and I don't want them to fuck me over on the money. So like whatever. But I thought she might, you know, because they've got as much. I mean, she does have some power and that there's the set and there's this money. There's like, you know, it, it's, 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 they're losing money if she's not filming and she'd just be like, Hey, you said no anal and you said no this and no that. And now you've got me doing this and a DP and a gangbang. What the fuck? I'm going to do half of this shit. And if they're not happy about it, they've, it sounds like they've already paid their money. Oh no, no. She got an advance. So yeah, she'd yeah. still be out the money. I don't know. It's. Yeah. It feels to me like they were all setting this up. Um, you know they're clearly playing with the movie she's making and the movie she's in. Yeah. Um. And you know the actress that she's directing and the actress that she is. Uh huh. I think they're 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 trying to show that this is not the world for her anymore. I think. Well, maybe too that she's saying like, hey, well, maybe if you're young and your head's full of fuzz, you'll fall for this. But like the idea that even a seasoned and respected performer as yeah. as Eileen slash Candy is still is just as vulnerable as. Lori, who was also an industry, which is just as vulnerable as some person from the Midwest just come off the porn boat. Like, um, I was just surprised. I thought she would she would fight back a little bit more, but maybe it's like, what's the point? Um, then there's this scene where she tries to critique the photographer, who she knows more about photography and filmmaking than he does, and he just blows her off because she's a porn star. Why should he give a shit about what she thinks? Right. Um. She's super broke and out of money and still has 16 scenes left plus pickups. And Harvey has there's a scene where he watches the film. He falls in love with it and he pulls her out of a porn shoot to say, look, it's a beautiful speech. Like I went to film school. I got the degree. I know what a camera can do. I know what a great story is. But turns out I can't do shit with a camera and I don't have a story. Mm -hmm. What you're doing matters. And I love the scene because it's, it's not quite Bunk and McNulty uh solving a case but the the fucks per word count here is just like <laughs> off the charts jesus i didn't even notice it oh it's like i'm a broken human being i didn't <laughs> notice it at all <laughs> it's uh it's 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 really good now the thing is is like this is this is where we end it like we don't know how eileen we died we didn't follow her and like how she found the non-pornographic version of this story to tell we didn't know like what the actors thought about after filming that stuff not yeah um i, I 
it's 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 one of those things where they leave a character on a trajectory with some velocity and we're not surprised to read the obituary later but, but i but do I wish there was a little at, more i am surprised at what is in the obituary like the the fact that she did finish this film without the porn in it uh without the fucking is sort of crazy to me because like i look at this scene where her and harvey argue and she seems to have pigeonholed herself as this pornographer. Uh-huh. Um, she very much states, that's what I am. She won't finish the movie. I, I get the sense that like she's she's somehow ashamed to be too good for porn because that's her identity for so long. Right. And like she feels like she'd be almost betraying herself by saying, yeah, I can no longer make porn because I'm too good for it. It's like... She, 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 she's pissing on her own legacy by, by turning her back on it. Right. But then she does. She does publish that film uh, with no pornography in but it. But then part of the obituary is like she also continued with her adult yeah. career too. So it's like yeah. maybe that's her way of saying like, well, I want to – I want to, this message is important and I want it to get in front of as many people as possible and not just the people in the porn but like, you know, everyone needs to hear this. And the, the ironic thing is, of course, nobody it's an Art House it. film and nobody cares. Yeah. An Art House film without fucking – Go figure. Uh, yeah, go figure. No, so nobody, nobody watches, it. and it's also a little commentary on I think uh, David Simon because he's okay. consistently banging out this stuff that everyone is just critically jizzing over, and mm-hmm. it's amazing. It's off the charts. It's some of the best characters and dialogue and plotting you'll ever see, and half a million people are watching it. Yeah, you know, uh, hundred hundred fifty million people <laughs> around the globe watch whatever the fuck Game of Thrones turned into, but like a half a million people can't be bothered to watch something that's incredibly educating if if you give it a chance yeah the wire win no wins no awards is that right no emmys no emmys for yeah, writing no or, emmys whatsoever. For, or acting or direction i think it got like some kind of costuming or set designing award mm-hmm. um but uh yeah uh that's how we finish up with uh eileen i wish we got a little bit more uh, an hour and 20 minute episode um but i think they said because there's the this part of the other interview they said in simon that like they're they cut this down to like individual lines of dialogue because they didn't really want to be over the time, but they had to, to, to get some things done. So they got done exactly what they wanted to do with uh, Eileen here. Hmm. Uh, Reg and Melissa, I thought this was a really sweet scene. Um, yeah. And this is based on a true story, I guess, that uh, uh, there was a former lesbian porn star that married a gay man to help him kind of manage his affairs and it kind of helped out at both. And honestly, it seems like a smart strategy uh if if uh i wonder how much of that happened like you know uh gay men like leaning on friends and family to kind of entrust their estate to to take care of their or you know since they can't like marry i i Mm -hmm. I wonder i wonder but i thought it was really sweet um and i love their wedding ceremony uh the i thought is really poignant the um the vows when he says i'll be the rock I'll, I'll be your rock all the days of my life which are very very short mm-hmm. um but uh just how it's you know because they, they got married in the courtyard outside their apartments which they talk about what a shithole it is but then you see how much elbow grew she's put into it she's spruced yeah, it up there's that. flowers and lights and there's all these people you imagine there's like people from the filmmaking industry maybe they helped out with a little bit of that and mm-hmm. you find out melissa's going to get more work uh, I looked it up. Uh, Robert Redford and Deborah Winger star in the 1986 movie Legal Eagles, a romantic comedy. That's the, the last week was Crocodile Dundee. 
this mm. week it's Melissa getting getting another leg up with the uh, legal eagles and there's just a look between Melissa and Reg like when they're in the middle of this party and Reg is having a good day and they both look amazing and all their friends are there dancing and laughing where they have this last private look of joy and that's where we leave their character mm-hmm. uh what do we say about Gene? Because Gene is a character that I don't fucking mm. understand. And they make it a point of, like, what a rat fucker he is. And then they give him this scene where he tries to kind of convince Paul that he's not, and Paul's just not having it. Yeah. And I'm not either. Like, Gene, like, like I know you... you <sighs> Gene's an unintentional bad guy, I think. Like, yeah. He, he got into this thinking he was doing something good. Uh-huh. Um... And then he got in too deep, and he kind of turned a corner and became a bad guy. He, he's working against the the interests that he should hold. <laughs> like he's shutting down all of these these bathhouses, right? Um, when he himself is a patron of them, he's he's very he's hypocritical. He's uh, he's too eager to please the See, I, 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 it's like the, all these things point to like a self hating gay man, which I yeah. never thought of him as. Like I thought of he was always pretty matter of fact. Like hey, this is who I am, but also being a father is also a part I, of being who I, I think am. He's and a, a self hating politician more than a self hating gay man. But like. I wonder if, like, when he's talking about cleaning up New York, he's also talking about cleaning up himself. If he's talking about, like, what, if he's thinking, oh, man, if I was a young man and there weren't all these bathhouses that led me down to temptation. I don't, I don't know. Because I know there are, yeah. you know, closeted gay men that think that way and have tried, like, the gay conversion therapies and the different, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I, I don't have a good beat on him because I don't understand how he can make a nakedly political decision uh that's not based on any kind of like, you know, rational thought or, you know, uh, late information or like, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. And then how he thinks he can explain it to Paul. I guess that was the one that's like, you know, live your life, take your shots, but also don't like, why would he expect Paul to understand or agree when he's essentially ruined Paul and his community? Yeah, he shouldn't. Especially since like, maybe if there's things that the mayor could have done with, accurate information or funding or stuff in the or beginnings of the AIDS crisis. But now that it's like just completely gone into ravaging New York, I, I don't know. Gene is a fucking yeah. enigma. Yeah. It's and a he's, weird dude. you know, providing the cover for the mayor to do this shit. Like it's, it's, it's pretty fucked up. And I, I think the maybe more understandable thing is when he's talking with Chris, um, you, you start to get this idea that he is very much interested in, advancing his career yeah uh what he can get from that side of the the field like he because when he's talking with chris he's saying like oh we're gonna make you a captain we can do that for you i can do whatever you want for you i can give you this and chris and chris is like man you did nothing you did nothing you push this into another area of new york like why aren't you concerned about that? Yeah. But why isn't Chris, why wasn't Chris more concerned about that? Here's the problem I have, I guess, with this whole thing. And maybe it's just confusion on my part because I don't understand what they're getting at. But Chris and Gene have always seemed to be in cahoots. And so for Chris to come back at the end of this and say, you did nothing. You just pushed it into a different part of the city. Uh, You changed absolutely nothing. Why, why is that? poignant why is that uh... i think chris was naive and he thought gene's pitch that you put you you fight crime with concrete and cranes right that like 
to a beat cop, that must make sense. Like, okay, you get some money, you get the people with money invested into solving these problems, and then the problems will get solved. He didn't see it as, even though he was part of the ones perpetrating it, he didn't see that, like, what was going to happen was all that money was going to flow in one direction, and it was going to gut these neighborhoods and then take these other neighborhoods and now fill them full of poverty and crime and drugs. It seems use. such a natural conclusion, though. I don't. I don't know why he couldn't see that, and I mean, it clearly I mean, he sees the it thing at the is, end. I, but you, like, if I was twenty, if I was twenty-seven-year-old patrol uh, officer, like being, you know, the tap to be a detective, and, but and he, I'm, I thought he was I'm a lot swimming. older than that, huh? I thought he was a lot older than that, a lot more experienced. Uh, I mean, he was a de- so he's probably a detective in his thirties. I'm trying to think about how far back I'd have to go before I didn't have my head fully up my ass about how like the world worked. But like, uh, and it's probably yeah. harder to figure out back then when there wasn't as much uh, information and and kind of like you know history to kind of look back on. But mm-hmm. I can see that. Yeah, you think it's like you know it's like the whole like we're just in the last ten fifteen years kind of like getting through mainstream American consciousness that like there are downsides of gentrification, mm-hmm. let alone the kind of aggressive gentrification plan gentrification that you're seeing here in, in, in Manhattan. So it's like, I guess he thought that like that money would flow both ways and there would be the programs and there'd be the stuff that would help the people and that, but there was never any talk of that. I don't, I don't understand how yeah. you come out of conversations with Gene thinking, yeah, no, Oh, right. he's got a plan. To, to help all these people. Yeah. He thought the crime would evaporate rather than, you know. Yeah. Just, where just does it move. go? Even water that evaporates goes somewhere. Yeah, it's not right. like it disappears off the face of the earth. You're right. It's a, it's a law of nature. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. Chris struck me as a little naive up until the moment where he needed to not be naive to make this point yeah. to the audience and to Gene. Yeah. But I, I thought the final suggestion he makes to... Uh, you know, close the part, the, the parlors. Cause it was just that at that point that's, you know, it's clear that the parlors weren't a public health problem, but they're using the politics and optics of it to both yeah. shield the governor, the mayor from being seen as an, as, as anti-gay mm-hmm. and also, you know, snap up the rest of mid, mid Manhattan yep. in one fell swoop. It's like a politically, it's a fucking little finger strategy right out of game of Thrones. Yeah. Great um, strategy. Uh, not great for the people that it's going to affect. No, and it could. I, that's the thing. It's like it could be if you're taking a dollar and generating a thousand. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of money that you could spread around to help people. Yeah, that's just not happening. Although I look at the stuff that is going on with Bobby in this episode, and I go, maybe that parlor needed to be shut down. <laughs> He's fucking buying sex slaves. Oh, in this. okay. Let's like, move I, on to Bobby because <laughs> Bobby shit. I mean, this this the critiques of uh what we do in capitalism are so fucking sharp here because Bobby's gone from being a union man. Mm-hmm to being a union buster to bringing in scabs he's also like you know like as a union man i'm sure he hated like illegal immigration Mm -hmm. and yet this is literally they're not even immigrants they're sex slaves being brought in here and trafficked illegally and he's like Mm -hmm. you know licking his chops and rubbing his fingers together about how he can keep his profit margins down oh fuck i don't have to pay these girls yeah and they can't run off because you've got your passports and they're essentially like owned by you holy fuck and then like I, I and then as soon as it goes south he goes hey, I'll go, go back to the union yeah I'll go back I'll see if I can <laughs> go get my fuck? union got, job back and without any kind of trace of hypocrisy or yeah. irony and that like you know it's like also it's like I wonder what, Bo- what I wonder what Bobby's voting records like it's it's you know it's like it's his myopia that like 
uh if you're you know like oh unions are bad but like my union's the good one it's the exception it like looks after its people and mm-hmm. it's this it's this thing where uh there's there's a lot of statistics that like americans even on um like social security and medicare medicaid food stamps tend to look down on other people because they think though they're we're the ones that need it everyone else is taking advantage right it's this insane way to look at the world but it is an accurate way that people it's an accurate depiction of how people people do do look at it yeah um there's also his his reaction to get to his kid getting arrested is yeah it's it's a lesson. Right. He needs to learn that lesson. Yeah, he needs to do. He needs to to, to go away to and, uh-huh. and figure himself out. But I thought that was funny that like, uh, you know, his discussion with Doctor Francis about the the short stock and you mm-hmm. know uh, being excited. Like, why aren't you getting on this gravy train? Smash cut to Joey and his friends getting busted for insider trade <laughs> trading. Uh-huh. Joey, what a dumb fuck. Uh, like Th- they both have the same re- initial reaction to it too. It's mm-hmm. like. Uh, you know, when Bobby first hears about shorting, he's like, that's un-American. Right. Of course, he has no real principles. And that's so as right. soon as the money, he sees a glint of money, he's on top of it. Yep. And then, but Black Frankie is like, seems to be a principled man. And he's yeah. like, yeah, if I was a gambler, I wouldn't bet to lose. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where's the fucking fun and honor in that? But I just thought like Joey like is running his fucking mouth and, you know, saying all this incriminating shit. Oh God, as he's being arrested. Yeah. He's so fucking stupid. Um, so Bobby's parlor gets shut down and, uh, we, uh, it's funny. I, I thought there's a really good scene with him and Leon, which I'm glad they got that in there too, where mm-hmm. he asked Leon where all your regulars go. And he's like, it's like my mom said, or my grandma said they walked into the arms of time, mm-hmm. which is a, a kind of poetic depiction of what we see later in this episode. Yeah. Uh, we already talked about uh, Dr. Frank going to go off to Baltimore um, and we'll see him or his uh, relations in The Wire in a few years. Hmm. Now we got the biggest block of the episode, Vince, Abby, Paul, and Loretta. And Paul and Loretta are in here because they're essentially all connected to Vince and Abby. Uh, Vince checks up on Mike and he's like super dead. Yeah. Shocking. How long has it been since you checked on Mike? Well, it seemed like he had like a once a month thing is what the kind of verbal agreement was. Must have died right after he left last time. <laughs> I don't... I mean, what time of year is this, too? Because... It looked cold. Was it cold? I thought so. Huh. I mean, he was cutting firewood before... But there's flies. Uh, yeah, he was yeah. cutting firewood. That's and, right. and Vincent's wearing a big jacket. I'd, yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty cold. It's probably not dead of winter, but... Okay. Yeah. Fall. Um, but as a sh- kind of a shocking way to find the... the to say goodbye to Mike... Um, there so so vince wants to work out a deal with tommy to get abby and paul out from underneath all the goomba shit mm-hmm. um and there is a really sweet scene of like vince and abby talking about you know that she's like because it's I, I thought that maybe vince was trying to angle to get back with her and she i think thinks may, maybe and and says you know we had the breakup right and he's like yeah but i mean w- the- we had we had something, and they acknowledged that. Yeah, it's his second broken teacup relationship. Like, yep. they they've been through so much shit as mm-hmm. a couple. At this point, it's harder to put it back together than just to move on. And they were very different, but they in this phase of their life kind of suited each other pretty hand in glove from and from season one to here. So I I thought that was that was pretty nice. It's kind of and, contrast. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was gonna say it's a good scene in context of what they they explain about the the person the real person that vincent is um because they say like they could tell through the interviews and stuff that this was the love of his life 
yeah. like the way he spoke about Abby. Sure. Uh, so I felt like this was a necessary scene to convey that. Do you think that Vince is the love? Because I, I, I buy that about Vince. I don't know that Vince is the love of Abby's life. Yeah, maybe not. I mean, she's but... it's super important to her, I'm certain. But mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, but uh, there's a contrast to this with Loretta, mm-hmm. who let's wand down easy because he wants to propose to her because she's amazing and she's like i just don't need or want a full-time man mm-hmm. i like the physical part i like uh you know the way we get together and how easy it is but i just i think that uh she's just really afraid to get in a situation a permanent situation like that with another guy yeah that's that's certainly part of it um, the biggest part what do you think about Tommy Longo? Because Tommy Longo, he's, he says Ugh. he's got his eye on the future. He bets on the right guys. Uh, he's obviously a ghost by the time of 2019 rolls around because uh, we see him in in, in the Vince's ghost vision, or his ghost role. But like I, uh. see, this guy seemed like erratic. He seemed like he was maybe on a little bit of the nose powder himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tommy's always seemed like a, a guy who could, you know, hug you or kill you. He also doesn't seem like the guy's going to inspire confidence and loyalty to mm. his crew. So he's got a guy like Vince, a good earner, and the only thing he can do is extract one last fucking uh, retirement tax out of him. To the tune of $200,000, holy shit. Yeah, it's a big tax. I wonder, because I as, as he was doing the math, I'm like, I wonder if Vince has got more or less than that sucked away, stock sacked away. Because it seemed like it really, it really hurt it really hurt uh, Vince to let it go, but yeah, and he's able to negotiate Paul out of yeah Paul out of too out of the life too, which right. is nice. Tommy's such an asshole. Like comparing him oh, to Rudy man. is like fucking night and day. Like he's making fun of Paul and his diminished business prospects, and mm-hmm. um. But then we see Abby gives Loretta the bar. Paul tells Abby the good news, or I guess Paul already knows it, and we find out from that conversation that she's going back to law school. Um, Paul's got a limp. Yeah, I didn't know if that was something I missed from previous episodes or if this was new. I wonder, because I was thinking, because uh, I just assumed his arc was going to be he miraculously didn't catch AIDS, mm-hmm. you know, and he was going to become like a prominent member of the community. Um, and I th- I took him walking the cane as like he got a really bad, like maybe that police beating he took was a little bit worse than we thought. Mm-hmm. But then I read online that people were kind of drawing a line, a connection between him and Reg, who were both using uh, uh, canes, and that like hmm. you know uh, that he's you know it it I, I don't know I I I I'm I know he's dead by the time he's 2019. He's not dead at the end of 1986. He's uh, committed to still being active and demonstrating and protesting and trying to change things. But um, there's a big mystery, like when he walks out into the night there's there's also um so someone also mentioned the fact that he's like smoking like unfiltered menthol mentholated cigarettes is like maybe and i uh, like that he doesn't care about his health anymore but i'm like i don't know <laughs> Having I fucking, one cigarette is I, I know people that smoke unfiltered mentholated they're you know chuckleheads but like i don't think they're like actively courting death or <laughs> right. think that they're being reckless with their lives i, I, I don't know but yeah but him walking out into the the night and closing his bar down is kind of what uh, uh, triggers the uh, 2019 New York City scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what did you so like? They they pan over to TV and they're talking about like the issues of our day, like global warming, 
Uh, but then there also there's there's a couple bars of Game of Thrones theme song. Yeah. yeah. And then the the porn on demand, mm-hmm. this thing that like was was like illegal in the 1970s and is ra- like you had to go to like a rain gutter district of town is now being served not just like the nice Skinamax porn, but like filthy anal angels for whatever the fuck it was. Right. The 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 vilest of the porn you can get at this fancy five star hotel in Manhattan now. Yeah, to me that that was emblematic of you know the the redevelopment that happened, right? It wasn't just a redevelopment of the real estate of Times Square, it was a redevelopment of the porn industry. Yeah. Putting the money into the pockets that it belongs in. Yeah. According to society as opposed to the ones it doesn't. Yeah, porn completely conquered its its given landscape. Yeah. Like if there was a war on it, it it decisively won that war. It's now as ubiquitous as like uh water or electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but of course yeah but the people and that's the thing like the 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 people it, it, there's still so much exploitation in it there's still so much uh so much of the money moves up mm-hmm. um it, it's not like you know the all these women who turned from prostitute to porn actress were were suddenly lifted up with that tide right mm-hmm. it was more like uh, you're all going to stay down there, just like the real estate development. You're all going to get pushed to the sidelines, and we're going to move in, and we're going to mm-hmm. take the money uh, from this industry that is very lucrative. Mm-hmm. And we're going to we're going to package it up. We're going to stick it on hotel TVs in this newly gentrified Times Square, and and all of the all of this the hard work you did to make this thing like to fight against all of the shit we were throwing at you for it. Mm-hmm. You made it through, and now we're just going to take it over. Because there's a buck to be made. Yeah, um, it's 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 a it's it's a hell of a it's a hell of a statement. It uh, is. That, that's how I read it anyway, and I no, could no. be totally wrong. No, I think I think you're right. Um, and, and it disgusts Vincent, right? Vincent, yeah, looks at these titles and he just shuts the fucking TV off. Yeah, yeah, because that's uh, that's his fucking home. He lived through that. And he goes downstairs and instead of finding a nice bar where you can get a regular can get an honest pour, he sees this like gleaming corporate hotel bar that like regularly, you know, you can get exactly an ounce out of these bottles. No more. Yeah. So inhuman, right? Yeah. There's like, you know, and instead of the bar being crowded and full of life, it's very sterile. Just a dude that's like reading his box scores and and uh, Vincent. But that's where we find out about Eileen's uh, obituary and that her. Her uh, her first honest film, A Pawn in Their Game, is is a critical hit, and it's uh, canonized in the Criterion Collection. Right, remastered. Uh, pretty pretty nice. Um, then he walks outside, and Blondie's cover of The Sidewalks of New York starts, and this is where it just like it kills me every fucking time. Going down, seeing Leon, uh, Rodney, and Shay, Rudy, and Tommy, uh, Ashley with the uh, lieutenant. I think the, the, then Lieutenant Haddix and Chris's old partner shaking them down. Hmm. Paul and Todd at their like you know late seventies peak. Yeah. Uh, Cece and Lori, which was the you know that was one of the painful memories you could tell. Uh, just the way Lori's kind of like looking at him. Uh, Bobby being like in you know an oblivious asshole. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe, you know finding out that like the reason Vince is there is because Joey's getting married for the third time. But he's also on trial for insider trading again. Uh, was, see, it, was it Joey? Wasn't it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, for some reason, I was thinking Frankie's kid. 
Oh, I was like, like father, like son, like with all these different marriages. No, and... I think the way Bobby's talking, he could okay. be because no, that's that the one sense. thing I wish I li- I heard because last time we heard about Vincent's kids, like one of them was getting into stripping and porn herself, and I don't know what right, happened right. to the oldest one, but it would have been if interesting they mentioned to see the insider trading. That's got to be Joey. Yeah, it'd have been interesting to see if if they had uh, um, if they'd get in, get in a sense some in, insight into the next generation. Yeah. Um, but then we saw Big Mike, uh, Thunder Thighs and Candy, uh, and then you know another bad memory of Pascali, but then he looks behind them and there's Frankie. And I can't describe this anymore. I'm just gonna get fucking choked up. This is just a <laughs> this is just five minutes of yeah. like nostalgia for the fans of the show that's been on this thirty hour trip with them. Yeah. And, nice uh, little reward. Absolutely worked on me. Uh, and then, so did you get this? Because if you weren't looking at the end, Abby walks through, like after 15 oh, yeah. minutes, Abby walks through the crosswalk. And she seems like maybe a high-powered lawyer or something. The real um, question is, did she sell out or is she is she a high-powered lawyer for good or is she selling out and just making people money? Uh, I think the former. How? Why do if, you say if that? If I know Abby, I think... You know, she she realized that she was doing no good sitting there in in the deuce trying to make change from her fucking bar. Mm-hmm. And so she went and she found another bar uh, and she posted up there and now she's actually trying to make change. I would like to believe that, but also like Abby's the the boomer generation, uh, the, you know, they, they were infamous for turning from hippie to corporate. That's true. Button down shill. So like. I hope she made it to that. I hope she made it to where she's actually doing good and still moving and shaking and and fighting for people's rights and fighting for what's uh, fair. But like the way of the world is that would be rare if she she went back to school and was able to to, to do that. But yeah, that, I, th- that I would think be she great. was rare. I, I, I think Abby was, yes, yeah, certainly among the people in the deuce, a rarity. I think you're... I think you mostly talked me into it. There's a lot of good takes uh, I saw in the Deuce of subreddit where people are like the 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 Abby. You know, I guess a lot of people had problems with her because I never I didn't follow the subreddit too closely on this um, just because I felt like I had a you know uh, this this show does you don't need a lot of hand holding and that was yeah. not a huge well trafficked group. But there's a lot of people making comments about like Abby being this rich girl who is does like the slum in manhattan um but then you know when she gets in her 30s it's like well it's time to grow up and get a real job and get kind of co-op co-opted that way um because like that's the thing like she never at any time she could have been like fuck this i'm moving i'm i'm gonna go and get handouts from my dad or i'm gonna move out Mm -hmm. and she never did so like i guess I want to believe. I want to believe that Abby Abby st- st- stayed true to her principles, even though almost no one does by the time they die. <laughs> yeah, I want to believe that too. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Because we've got just a few pieces of feedback. Um, no, I'd like seeing one last uh, shot of old Franco and young Franco. So uh, good. They, they they do that seamlessly. And they put laugh them in the same the, scene oh, together. Oh, you look like shit. Uh, and, and just the technical aspect of it. Yeah. Like, how how do you get James Franco with his arm around James Franco? It it fascinates me. And did they, they talk, nail it. Do we talk about the scene in the birthday where he smears cake on the other uh-huh. face? Like, yeah, I just. I don't know how they do that shit. It's it's amazing job of special effects. Uh, and then I don't know, like I said, that it's it's an open question when they pan over and you just see like what a thing time. I mean, I've been to New York or I've been to Times Square and 
what like just big fucking shrine to advertising and yeah. money and capital it is and how fucking I, crazy I expensive it is and i hated it i hate it too um, there was nothing for me there. but i think i would have hated the old deuce uh yeah so, so it's like yeah I, I i wouldn't have gone to the old deuce just as readily as i wouldn't go to the new deuce i don't think the new new york versus old new york it's it's not it's it's not so much a tragedy of what it's became it's more of like what a squandered opportunity like how much money like you look at that and you look at silicon valley and like san francisco and some of these other places that have just exploded and and so many people are making money but like yeah they're I don't know. And like, you look at the homelessness on the San Francisco streets and it's like, pfft. yeah, I just feel like when we look back to like the nineties and the two thousands, we're going to just realize what a huge missed opportunity we had to like make the world a better place. And instead we let a lot of people and not just America, but all around the world just pile up fucking sums of money. And for what? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I'm glad that this is set in uh Times square because I don't think there's a more, stark contrast between what something was and what it became yeah uh i i honestly can't think of a single location in america that's more like that mm -hmm. so yeah they picked a perfect location for this uh let's get the feedback okay and then we'll say goodbye to the, the, the deuce uh steve from connecticut uh well actually has no actual feedback for us i'm just stupefied slash horrified that aaron and maybe jim hasn't seen treme i have not it's no. my number three show of all time behind the wire and breaking bad with brilliant interwoven characters and stories, great music, it's amazing. Doesn't it not get an ending? No, did it, it did. Did they finish that show? Yeah, they've let okay. they've let David Simon finish everything that he started on HBO <laughs> to their great credit. Um, and this is a show that was infamous for nobody watching it, yeah. and yet everyone critically acclaiming it. And I was not a I was not a David Simon fan when I first, when that thing first came out. I heard, oh, this is weird guy uh, show about kind of hurricane Katrina and law uh, and new Orleans from the guy who made the wire, but I hadn't got around to watching the wire yet. So like it was, it, it's, it's now that I've gotten Deadwood out of the way. I think it's my a one <laughs> show that I need to catch up on. Yeah. Uh, because I, I'll, I'll have to love it. Right. I'll have to love it. Uh, moving on to Edward, it's been a great run, and I'm actually sad to see it go, but it had to go. Time is undefeated, just as Vince uh, alluded to Frankie. Some quick thoughts. Does your headcanon tell you that Darlene made it as a nurse and that Larry made it as an actor? Why didn't we see Larry this season? Uh, it's interesting that, like, hmm. yes, David Simon has thought about these questions, and he mentioned explicitly that they wrote a scene for Larry to be in the background of the soap opera that Todd was working on. <laughs> okay. And that the guy that plays Larry um, is, is got a successful run on Broadway right now with uh, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, I think. Hmm. And that their, their shooting schedules just didn't line up and he couldn't get over to the set. But like in 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 uh, George and uh, David's mind that, yes, he was able to turn that corner to because he's charismatic as all hell. Oh, the yeah. camera loved him. Mm -hmm. Just just put that thing back in your pants and and <laughs> right. do a couple straight films and when work your way up. Probably did a lot of gangsters, probably did a lot of pimps, mm -hmm. but he worked his way to respectable film. And uh, uh, as Darlene, I, he, I don't he didn't mention in the interview, but I mean, Darlene seems like the type that. We're, is going to find a way to make that work. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm with you. I don't know that uh, that particular path worked out for her, but 
I do feel like something would work out for her. I mean, she you don't get to go through like you don't get to to make that change in life with that support and like people in your corner. And I feel like that she must have had good people around her. And, you know, uh, I, I think she worked it out. That's my headcanon anyway. Um, since Vince didn't see Abby and it seemed like she was 2019 Abby, I assume that she's for real alive, as is anyone we might not have seen. Larry is still alive and still acting. Darlene's alive. Detective Alston's alive. Harvey's still alive. But Vince didn't interact with him. Is there anyone else I missed? That's something else that Simon said. That, yeah, if you saw people that, or if you saw people that meant they're dead, and if you didn't see them, it meant they were alive. Hmm. Uh, but there are edge cases where, like, I don't know that like Vince and Harvey were on like first name basis. Yeah. Um, I know they're aware, and I think they met each other a couple times, but I, I don't know. I'm trying to think if it, there's any other big, cause big uh, omissions or th- things that I thought were people that i were surprised not to see but i can't really think of anybody no um i can't wait to hear your thoughts on the finale i personally love the last long walk we took in 2019 new york city by vince i told my wife that i felt so odd and eerie but damn it did that scene get to me i almost can't believe how this show got me so emotional (laughs) relatable content brother (laughs) the mike death scene was so sad when i saw him on the street i couldn't help but feel that vince and mike bond when I saw how defeated Lori looked on the street, it affected me. When I saw Paul, the late 70s Paul, with his boyfriend, when he was the most happy, was devastated. I had honest tears. I don't cry so much watching movies, but this scene did it for me. I'm happy we didn't see Paul wither away. And to see Frankie, it made me think of my own mortality and my own brothers. They're all still alive, but we're getting older. There's four of us, and one of my brothers lives a wild and crazy life. Uh, you got a Frankie in the family, huh? He's speaking. He's talking crime, <laughs> motorcycles, hard jobs, hard and fast life. To see these twins reunited, it actually stung. The final walk was also crushing since we've seen Simon and Pelicanos talk about the real Vince. This is his walk through New York City, right? This was as close to the real Vince as we're going to get. An old man in his 70s walking around the bright lights of a New York with his past haunting him uh, with the passersby. Mm-hmm. Uh, that fantastic look of mortality, love and loss hit me in just the right or wrong time. As I had also recently lost my father-in-law at 72. I hope the ending worked for others like it did me. Uh, it certainly worked for me for a lot of the same reasons, you know, like I'm in the middle of my life and I've been thinking about mortality a lot. And, you know, I have a brother who's still alive, but we don't speak. And, uh, I, I, that kind of all hit me and, yeah. Plus, I just I just love this show and I love the characters. Yeah. So, ain't nothing wrong uh, with caring about uh, the, the the people and and things in your life. So good good on you for being a, a living human being, Edward. <laughs> uh, that's all we got. Uh, Bald Move TV is still got plenty more to come. Uh, we've got some. We're going to try to maybe get in some short takes for some stuff. Uh, we're in a very busy season now, but we're still got some TV that we want to touch on. Also, Cecily is leading up a podcast with Jim's fiance, Alexis. Uh, they are doing a podcast on his dark materials right here on Bald Move TV. They're going to be covering the show episode by episode. Uh, that starts uh, next week. Next week, yeah. They did. Uh, they 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 just posted a a kind of a series preview by way of the old 2007 uh, Golden Compass movie uh, to kind of get the the everybody prepped for it. So please stick on for that. And Jim and I will probably be back later in November to talk a little Mandalorian too. Mm. So and then who knows what other bonus stuff. Also, you heard it in the housekeeping, but we are loaded right now, Mister Robot. 
Uh, we just finished off up the deuce. Watchmen is just getting started on HBO. Uh, tons Rick, and Rick tons and of stuff. Rick and Morty. Week, yeah. We've 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 done all of our homework. We've just covered all three seasons of Rick and Morty. Uh, Rick and Morty season four starts in mid November. It's going to be a busy time throughout the Christmas. Uh, we're so glad that you came along with us. Uh, sorry to see the deuce go. I'm really excited to see what else. Uh, you know. Pelicanos and Simon come up with next because mm-hmm. I've loved everything they've put out so far. Uh, all right, that's all I got. Uh, until the next time, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.